day for the, uh, well, not just the Toronto Blue Jays, John. It was opening day for all of Major League Baseball yesterday. The Blue Jays opened in New York against the Yankees and uh, probably couldn't have had a more, well, for lack of a better term, exciting game. 3-2, extra innings, Blue Jays win in the top of the 10th. <laughs> um, pitching was generally good, although almost all the guys out of the bullpen had to escape um, you know, potential nightmares throughout the game. Ryu looked great. Um, all uh, some key hitting, all in all, pretty good, huh? Two, two things that jumped out at me is that Ryu lasted longer than Garrett Cole did. Uh, well, so that's the exact same amount. Okay. All right. Five and three. Uh, um, and uh, I thought the defense, Bob, I thought their defense was much better than. I had expected it to be so, you know, with, with those, you know, with Simeon at second and, and uh, Bichette and Biggio and at, at short and, and third respectively that I, I was, and I'll tell you what, Vladdy at first, he looked comfortable. He looked much better than I ex- anticipated. I, I thought they defensively, they were uh, much better than I thought they'd be. Well, I mean, I want to, I want to, I, I agree with you. Um, Biggio made a few throws from third that were uh, 100 footers instead of 120 footers or whatever the distance is. But um, Guerrero was terrific at first base yeah. defensively, picked a yeah. whole bunch of balls out of the dirt. He had one play that a few people focused on, and that was the play where he stretched to, to take a ball out of the dirt and pulled his, his foot about an inch off the bag, and the umpire called the runner safe. And it's a legit call. And yes, you, you're a first baseman. You're supposed to keep your foot on the bag. But my goodness, he made so many really good plays. Yeah. Uh, and you'll wonder, and I raised this in a tweet last night or yesterday, you know, with all with the weight loss that he's had, and it's not inconsiderable, you can see he's a faster runner when he goes down to first base or, or around the bases. His swing looks better. And defensively, all of a sudden, he's a better player. Could all of this be helped by the weight loss? I think so. What do you think? Oh, hey, listen, go and strap a 40-pound roast to your back and measure the difference of how you move. <laughs> of course there is. I mean, I mean, I think your muscles are you're better toned. I mean, I, I, I think weight loss in that situation has... He's been able to to get back to being the athlete we all knew he was and was supposed to be. But when you when when you put when you reduce yourself by forty pounds, that that changes a lot of dynamics, and it also changes a, a lot of the mental part of the game too. You know, you're not as mentally tired, uh, and and not everything's a strain. I, I mean, I think the weight loss has a huge part of what uh, what what Vladdy is is going to be, and without losing any power, Bob without losing any power. Well, yeah, he's 22 years old, but we've been watching him since he was like 15 or 16. He has never been a skinny mini. He's always been a hefty oh. guy. Yeah. But um, the commitment that he obviously made to lose weight during this offseason, which he did not do last year, I think has a chance to pay real uh, dividends. I, I think, I, you know, it, it speaks to a couple of things. First of all, two years ago, it was mother, his mother's cooking. Truly, it was his mother's cooking. Uh, and this off season, uh, with the, with his change and then what they've done in Dunedin 
with their dietitians, with the, the whole breakout of what the cafeteria there is like now, what their food services and what their what their approach to their their um, you know their their food preparation. I think that speaks to everything that Shapira and Atkins wanted to do with the renovated TD well, Stadium. There's some truth in that, but you know yeah. you can put you can put a salad in front of a guy who loves cheeseburgers. Doesn't make him eat the salad. Uh, real quickly, I want to mention also, um, for those that stayed up late last night, uh, Bianca Andreescu uh, has made it to the final in Miami. And she'll play Barty, who's the number one player in the world. She's never played her before. It should be an intriguing matchup. Although I will tell you, I don't know how much you've watched of this. I've watched Bianca play all week. Um, she's nowhere near the top of her game. No. Nowhere near the top of her game. So my expectations are that she will probably lose and may lose badly in the final. But this is a young girl who just has no quit in her. Even when she hasn't got her A stuff, she may not even have had her B stuff. She still managed to fight her way through. And I, I don't know, I, has, every, has every match she's had been a three-setter? It might have been. Mm. There have been a bunch even of early. Even early, I don't think early. There may have been one two setter, but yeah. but um, she hasn't dominated without question. No, and and I'll tell you what. Last night, you know, in the third set, there is no question that she was wearing down. No question, and, and to the point where I wondered. I mean, she, she was almost stiff legged a couple times walking back to the service line. Um, but uh, but th this was this was a pure and simple uh, victory of will for me last night. That was, she was very impressive. Uh, but I, I, I do wonder about the final, but at the same time, I, I don't know why you'd shortchange her now. I mean, she's got this far on this. And it, the, the question is, is can her, can the rest that she has before the final help her get through it? No, well, one would have to hope so. The, and I'm not trying to disparage her in any way. Well, that, you just said opposite. she's, you just said she's going to lose. So. Well, I don't. Ex I said I don't expect her to win, but the yeah, that means she's going to lose. Is she's now going up against the number one player in the world? Yeah, yeah. And and as a general rule, um, the number one player in the world is significantly better than everybody else. Not just a little bit better, but significantly better. And yeah. Barty's been number one off and on for a um, you know a reasonable portion of time. You know the Serena days are behind us. This is going to be a tough test. This would be a good test for, for Andrescu if she was playing well. Yeah. And I think she'd be the first to admit she's not there yet after well, all those this, months off. This, this is going to be one where if she does win, she's going to have to be thanking Team, team Bianca because it'll be her, her, the, the, her, her uh, psychologist, her, te her sports psychologist, and her, her massage therapist that get her through it, I'm sure. And, and the dog. And the dog. That's right. uh, when we come back, the uh, general manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Treliving. He is the uh, general manager of the Calgary Flames. Brad Treliving uh, joins us, Mr. Treliving. Um, I'm slightly hesitant to even ask you how you are. No, it's uh, we've had a struggle here, but. Uh... All well. Um, sun came up today, so away we go. You made a coaching change, uh, the, the most significant uh, maneuver over the course of the season. It's uh, been a couple of weeks. 
How do you grade results of a, of a move like that? Well, I think everybody, number one, will look at the record, and I, I, but it goes much deeper than that. Um, I think Daryl's done a, an excellent job, and really the, the big why we brought him here is, um, you know, I, I guess he, I'll talk to the record first, which, um, you know, the way we're playing right now, although it hasn't, it hasn't resulted in the end result we're hoping for on a nightly basis. I, our game is much better. Um, you know, it's night and day from where we were prior to our coaching change. Um, our team works. You're, you're, they're not going to cheat you with effort and competitiveness each night. Um, you know, our ability right now to create offense and finish offense is where the struggle is. But um, we're certainly giving up a lot less than what we were. Um, and, and at the end of the day, to have any sustained success, you've got to be able and win at the most critical time of the year. You've got to be able to keep it out of your net. You've got to be able to check. You've got to be able to uh, limit the opposition. And uh, so I'm, 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 I'm happy and, and uh, I like where that part of our game's going. Now we've got to find a way to unlock some of the guys that uh, have had struggles offensively for us last year. And, and we know we're in, we're in deep down the stretch here, but if we're going to give ourselves any chance, we've got to find a way to, to kick a couple across the line each night. So that's where the challenge lies right now for us. So, hey, Brad, so, so what, what makes Daryl, Daryl, what, what makes him so effective? How, it, it, I mean, is it as simple as saying that he's so direct in his communication skills? What, what does he do that, makes a difference well i think i think daryl's really i mean i think there's a lot of people and you, and you see um you know you see daryl and i think a lot of people don't really understand number one how real how intelligent he is in terms of um you know from a tactical standpoint you know we we all you know, analytics and possession numbers and all these things have become in vogue in the last number of years. Well, Daryl was doing these things a long, long time ago, you know, long before it was in vogue to, to grade your team on, on, you know, how much you have the puck and how, you know, creating chances from inside the home plate zone and limiting the opposition and, and those types of things. Daryl's teams are doing that for years. Uh, but he's demanding, uh, John, um, and, and I think Daryl's biggest strength is his ability to maximize uh, each an individual player and understands what it, what each, you know, what, what's the motivation for each personal player makes it, there's a personal connection with each guy. And, and then he pushes you and he pushes you beyond uh, places you think you can go. And I know, you know, even, even, and I've known Daryl personally for a long time, but I've never worked with him. And uh, I talked to a lot of people before, you know, before we brought him in and, you know, the, the one factor or the one comment, I guess, that kept coming back to me and, and talking to players about him, it said, you know, I didn't think I was a, I never thought in a million years I was going to be able to do this or, or, or could push this hard or could, um, you know, push my body to this extent until, until I played for him and, and he was able to wring everything, uh, every potential out of me. So, his ability to maximize player performance, um, galvanize a group under under a goal, um, and he's done it wherever he's gone. So, like I said, I've I've really been impressed uh, since he's got here. 
Um, we know we have a long way to go, but as I said at the, at the press conference, they're else here for, you know, this, is, this isn't a one-year thing. So I think he's putting his fingerprints on this team as he needs to. So what about the, the other perception, and I, I don't believe it, but there's lots of people that do, that he has the inability to work with young people. Is there anything to that? No, I, I mean, if you look back, I mean, going back on his track record, when those, you know, his most recent success was in LA, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at the, when that team won, and this, you know, over the course of the, the two cups there, you know, Doughty wasn't a, Doughty was a young player at that point. And the Toffoli's and the Pearsons and, you know, the Muzzins. And, and so those players that really, um, you know, they, they, for them to reach that level at, at that, you know, that stage in their career, young parts of their career points to his ability to connect with young players. And, and our team, we've got, we've still got a lot of young players. And, um, now what he does do is he pushes those players. And in some cases, you know, the directness, um, you know, I always talk about everybody, players, all of us, everybody wants honesty. You want to be, you want, you want, you just want an honest approach, but sometimes you don't want it when it's, when the news isn't good, you know, right. it's, it, it, we all want honesty until some, until, until we don't agree with it. Uh, but Daryl brings that, that clarity and you never, you never have to wonder where you stand. You never have to wonder what you have to do to either play more or, or get in the lineup. Um, and when you're doing it, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to get as much ice time as you ever could believe. So I think his ability just to be real direct with people um real honest um and then be able to to push people is is real strength of this um i don't think you can answer this question i mean i think you'll, you'll offer an opinion on it, but i don't think there's a there actually is an answer to this question but i'm intrigued by what you think brad um coaching is it more about the systemic situation the teaching the the on ice strategies that kind of stuff or is it more about the psychological impact of a coach with his players on a day-to-day -day basis and over a prolonged period of time? What do you think? I think it's a great question, Bob. Um, I think I, and I've believed this for, for, for many years and you're right. Uh, that doesn't necessarily make it right. Um, obviously there's a, there's a, there's a, the X's and O's part and the systems part it's important um you know i would say i would say generally uh, most of the league is playing the same way um with with certain tweaks here and there so um the system as we all refer to it is is an important part of it but it pales in my opinion to the ability to connect with the individual at the end of the day we're still dealing with people Sure. You know, we're dealing with people. So how you get to them, motivate them, push them, drag them along, um, whatever it is to maximize their performance. And so certainly a style of play. And, and it, it was interestingly how Daryl and I talked about it when, when, he, when he first came in, he said, you know, the system that you guys are currently playing very similar to what I would do. Maybe there's a tweak here or there, but it's the style. It's how it, you know, 
you can have any you can have the best system in the world, but if it's not performed at uh, maximum level um, and players aren't performing at maximum level, then then really the system is um, the system isn't isn't worth a whole lot. So I think the ability to, as you said, whether it's you know connect with that play, get get to the player and be able to maximize the player and and putting the the right people in the right chairs and you know making sure people understand their roles all those to me are 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 ahead of and more important than the system that you play uh, how has um, the interaction between you and Daryl how is it different than the interaction from your previous coaches with Gullitson and Peters and, yeah. and Ward? I don't think it's a whole lot different, John. I mean, you know, Daryl is the, 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 probably the biggest difference right now for all of us is just the rapid. I mean, it's game day every day or every other day, right? So you're, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of sitting down and, and big picture looking at things. Um, you know, we communicate a lot. We're, we're together, you know, we're on the road now. So we, we, we have coffees in the mornings, we have dinner at night and, and, you know, early on, you know, I gave Daryl my thoughts and where things are, but what I really want him to is experience the team and, and get his feedback. You know, where does he see certain people? Where does he see our, our group and, and where certain things fit or don't fit? And so you want to give a little bit of time just for him to be immersed in that. Oh yeah. And by the way, every game is sort of life or death here. So we're trying, you know, his, his focus is trying to prepare the team each night to, to have success. Um, but lots of communication. Um, like I said, it's helpful. There's been a relationship there for a long time. So, you know, we're, we're comfortable with that, with each other. I think we're trying to find the rhythm of each other here a little bit as we go along, but, uh, I've really, I've really enjoyed them. So, you know, I'm going to hypothetically eavesdrop on a dinner conversation between the two of you. And I'm going to guess that for the most part, the discussion when it comes to your team revolves around the performance and the abilities of the individual players that you have on your roster. I mean, I know you'll talk about a lot of things generic. You'll talk about your next opponent and, yeah. Those kinds of things. But but at the core, the relationship between you two is, do you see eye to eye to a great extent on the quality of the talent that you have? You're in a position as a general manager where you have to make the decision on the value of a, of a player and, and whether you're going to attain him or keep him. And we're all the same, Brad. I think we make those decisions and then we... We, we made a, a, a mental commitment to that decision. So we're going to be a little bit stubborn about it. Now you bring a coach in who may not share your opinion. What's that conversation like in a generic sense when the general manager and the coach maybe don't share the same opinion of the value of a player? Well, we, I mean, I've certainly had lots of those conversations in the past in terms of different opinions on, on players uh, sure. with, with Daryl and, and the real, you know, the other, the other unique quality, and I think it's a real benefit uh, for us is, is Daryl's not only coached in the league for a long time, but he's managed. In the league. Mm-hmm. And so he understands that part of it of, 
you know, Daryl's not one to come in and say, well, you know, these make, go make these 10 guys disappear and I need 10 new guys. Right. He understands yep. how, how it works. So we've really in, in all candor never gotten or had those conversations about who doesn't fit. It's, it's more of how, you know, walking through how, how, what each player needs and what we need, you know, quite frankly, from each player in terms of the role. I think as we get closer to the deadline and in the coming days here, we sit down and, and really get his thoughts on it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's no different than me coming in and saying, you know, we really should be instituting a certain kind of forecheck and, you know, the coach has to coach and the manager has to manage. Now, I really believe that that is the, you have to have the closest for, excuse me, that, that relationship has to be very, very tight and very, very close. And you, you have to, you know, be very honest with each other. Um, but he certainly isn't one to come in. And like I said, write down 10 names that need to, you know, go overboard right now and go find, go find 10 different players. And, uh, what I've found is we, we, we see the game a lot, a lot, very similarly. Um, we see the strengths and some of the weaknesses in our players very similarly. Um, so now it's a combination of how do we, how do we maximize performance? And then as we get, like I said, whether it be through the deadline through over the course of the off season, um, you know, really start to have some deep discussions on what if change, what if we are going to make changes, what changes those need to be made. Well, since you brought the deadline up, um, can can you see yourself being at least a little active? I mean, you're 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 tight to the cap. You've made a lot of changes over the last little while, and particularly the off season with your free agents. How busy can you be? Well, I mean, the old saying, John, is it takes two to two to tango, right? So you need a dance partner. Um, you know, we've looked at both. You know, we've been sort of straddling the fence in both markets, whether that be adding players or or moving mm. players out. Um, but are you a cash in, cash out team right now? Do you think we've got some space? You know, we've got some space, but we're certainly not in a position as as really as the league. Everybody in the league is is to take on significant contracts uh, without moving money out. So we're we're looking at the now. We're looking at future. Um, and it's been a really interesting market. I would tell you over the course of the last three weeks, things have changed where people that you may have figured were being, you know, we're moving players and we're sellers. Um, you know, it takes one look at the standings and those, those fortunes have changed. And maybe those people that were, um, looking to do things that weren't so much now, but what do we got another 10 days to the deadline here? Um, and when you play every second night and you play in every division, teams that you're either about, you're ahead of or teams that you're chasing, the, it changes quickly, right? It, it's yeah. not like a normal year where you may be sitting three, three points, four points out of the deadline, out, out of a spot. And I'm not referring to our situation, but I'm just saying in a normal year, you may be three or four points out of, out of, a, out of a playoff spot at the deadline. And the math doesn't work up, right? The games don't work. You're not playing that team enough time. Well, this one is you're, you're, you're playing the people you're chasing and, and, uh, or you're trying to separate from. So um, it's going to be interesting. I think, I think what, what, what really, I mean, what really becomes evident in the discussions um 
that you're having right now is 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 again the the, the impact the flat cap's going to have for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Even 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 when you're buying, you say, okay, I'm taking I'm taking maybe some extra contract for a year from now. Mm -hmm. People are so it's tough right now to take on on money unless you're absolutely sure that that's going to fit because you know everybody's got their own players at some point regardless of where you're at you've got players on your team that you're going to need to sign whether it be this year a year from now two years from now so it's going to be interesting to see how the economics play whether it be into this deadline whether it it, it be future deadlines in the offseason but just just to be the devil's advocate uh you're you and montreal and i i actually think you might be closer to chasing the oilers than you are chasing montreal just just hear me out um and then Bergie goes and gets eric stall he's got tyler Toffoli coming back and he's got cole caulfield in quarantine the personality of his team is going to change and you are in a battle with montreal does that change your philosophy short term of what you have to do no you, you can't you can't you can't get caught up in chasing the Joneses, John. I mean, you're aware of what's going on around you for sure. And I, and I would tell you, if, if you talk to 31, soon to be 32 GMs, um, when you get to the deadline, you always want to help your team, right? Like that's sure. the fun part of the business is you're in a, you're in a good position. You're out there trying to make your team better, but you also have to take into account the reality of what your situation is. And do you, do you chase things? by throwing assets out there, um, you know, is that, is that really where you're at right now? I always tell our guys, I take the cue from the team. You know, I take my cue from you. I, I always want to help you. I always want to, and we, we have done in the past. Um, but we got to see how the next little bit plays out before we start saying, okay, now's the time to be sending assets out the door to, to help ourselves short term. And, and look, you may not agree with this assessment, but uh, so much time and energy is spent on the trade deadline um, in Canada, especially by the two television networks, uh, much to my chagrin when I work with one of them. Um, but the truth of the matter is that the overwhelming majority of the deals that are made at the deadline are nickel and dime deals, for lack of and a better and, term. And the big ones don't work very often. No. The, well, they're, they're, non, they're really non-impactful. You're, you're, you're moving pawns in a chess game rather than... Um, the significant pieces, um, queens and rooks and knights, et cetera. Uh, and now you add the extra dilemma here, Jim, of, or uh, uh, Brad, rather, sorry, uh, of, uh, of now not being able to, or can you deal with teams across the 49th parallel, given the COVID situation? Do you know? Yeah, well, to your first point, I, I, I agree full wholeheartedly with you i've never been a big deadline guy like i i think you build your teams in the summer sure um and so if you look back at my track record it's it's been you know you're adding depth you're i i just don't you know and especially with the prices of things um you know be throwing out first round picks for very short term help i i don't know if it makes a whole lot of difference and you look back and again this we must learn from history if you look back at cup winners how many of them made significant deals at the deadlines? It's very few. Yeah. So that's that piece. As far as, as adding people, we have gotten um, some clarification or some modification, if you would, on the on the quarantine. So those 
teams now for Canadian teams that add players from U.S. teams, at, you know, in through trade, the 14-day uh, quarantine has become seven. But even that piece, seven is seven days in our in our in our world of playing every night is still a significant. That's three games, maybe four. Could, exactly. And, and, and then you, you know, you're going to get a player who hasn't done much for seven days. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to retrain him. He doesn't have to learn to skate again. But it's going to take him probably a game or two to get up to being physically ready to contribute at 100%. So um, it's a mitigating factor for sure. we got to take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, more. Brad for living the general manager of the Calgary Flames, is uh, with us back after these. With Brad Trilliving, the GM of the uh, Calgary Flames. Um, what did you think you had at the beginning of the year, Brad? In terms of our roster? Yeah. How good did you think your team was going to be? Well, we, uh, again, we, we liked our group. If I went through it, I thought, you know, starting in, or starting in net, we thought we really, I liked our goaltending, and I still do. Um, in terms of Jacob, adding Jacob to our mix, to go along with David, I thought, especially in a year like this where I, everything was so compressed, that having two two goaltenders, uh, both of whom went to the All Star game last year, I think was really going to give us some some excellent goaltending. Jacob unfortunately got banged, had a terrific start, had a terrific start, um, got banged up and and uh, missed some time and and uh, so so that was a challenge for us. Um, I liked our defense. I liked the, the mix of our defense. When you look at, we have two, you know, two real solid veteran defensemen in Giordano and Tanev. Uh, to go with, you know, three, four young players. You know, when you when we got into the Valamakis and even Noah Hannafin and and uh, Yusuf Valamaki, we've got um, Oliver Shillington. A young Connor Mackey coming. So I like the mix of our defense. Uh, I thought it was mobile. Still believe it's a, a good defense. Um, and then up front, you know, the challenge, the question versus the challenge was um, we, we added some pieces this year that we thought could help us give us some more depth scoring and give us some scoring throughout our lineup. To date, that really hasn't taken hold. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, What's plagued us, this, this group are, are, and I've said it many times, our high has been real good, but the, the, the lack of consistency, um, and we see that from night to night or within games. Now, having said all that, um, and as I said earlier, I really, like, I really like how our team has played since Daryl has, has been here. And I know that there's been nights when we haven't gotten um, you know, the result on the board, but when you really dig into our game, um, you know, our ability to, you know, our, our, our ability to, to, to create chances, our ability, you know, really to, to, to limit, uh, have the puck, limit the opposition, you know, those things, if you can continue it in that form, you're, you're going, ultimately you're going to get results, but, um, right now it's been a challenge, a challenge for us to score. So you keep, you know, you get up each day and keep banging away at it and see if you can find some answers. Can a guy like Johnny Goodrow get better? Oh, I think those players, John, can always get better. You know, I, I really do. I believe you can. I mean, I, 
I manage a team who's who has a captain that won the Norris Trophy at 35 years old and probably has had his best years of his careers from 32 on. Mm-hmm. So I think you can always get better. Um, you got to work on your game. You got to do and 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 so there's the things that you can do individually to make sure that you're, you know, whether it be from a training standpoint and, and you know grabbing a specific area of your game in season or off season to make it better physically changing uh, your body. And then there is the help that we can provide in, in terms of putting people in different positions or playing them with different people. So um, I, I, I don't care what stage you are in your career, how old you are, how many years you've played. I think you can always get better. The, the, the barometer of your team and you, I think over the last few years uh, is, is Matthew Kachuk. Matthew is, He's he's one of those guys that can change the complexion of a game, complexion of a season. Have you noticed any? And actually, his, his post game press conference the other night, I've never seen a more exasperated player in my life on a positive side. That he was really mad at himself. He was mad at not winning the game um, uh, against Winnipeg. Uh, have you noticed a difference in him with Daryl there? I don't know if I've noticed a difference, John. He's just. Uh, and I would echo what you say a lot. He's, he's a lot of nights, the um, straw that stirs the drink for us. Um, you know, like a lot of players that we've had this year, he's been, there's been some inconsistency in his game and he's probably hoped for some better nights. Um, and there's been some frustration, right? There's been some yeah. frustration. Our group came in and again, I don't want to, you know, I'm not, doing the autopsy on our, on our group here right now, we've got lots of hockey in front of us. Um, you know, I think it's, it, the frustration for everybody creeps in when you, when you, when you believe you got a good team and, you know, the players believe that first and foremost, you know, they, they, in, in talking with them and, and, you know, it's been a group that's been around together for a while. So they're not, you're not, they're not just paying at lip service, but, you know, they really, like the group, they, they like the teammates, they like the makeup of the group and, and expected to be, uh, not didn't expect to be in the position we're on right now, but that's the reality, right? The reality mm-hmm. is you are where we are and, and now what do you do to change it? So Matthew's a, he's a real important part of our team, uh, can impact the game in so many ways. Um, and, when, and when it doesn't go our way, he, he wears it on his sleeve. That's what makes him the player that he is, is he is, you know, the emotion that he plays with, um, he wears that on his sleeve when things don't go well. With Brad for living, the uh, GM of the Calgary Flames, my perception of this, I don't think I've ever asked this question. I've asked plenty, but I don't think I've ever asked this one. My perception is on a day-to-day basis, the coach deals with the players. He relates to the players. He talks to the players. He has meetings with the players. Um, he, the dialogue principally, uh, you know, from an executive point of view is, is with the coach. How much as a general manager, do you actually talk to players during the course of a season? Or do you stay away from that? Because the perception is that that that's the coach's area. Well, I, number one, that you're, you're banging on the coach is the boss of, of, you know, what I call downstairs, the dressing room, right? So he, when, when it comes to players and ice time and who they're playing with and all that sort of stuff, that's, that's 100% the, the, the responsibility of the coach. And I, I think, 
I think each manager may have a different approach. My approach is I, I, I do have uh, a relationship with their players. Um, you know, my, 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 my role is if there's something, you know, that I can help with, if there's something, a problem with home or the family or bugging them or what impediment might there be that I can help remove so that you can perform and, and do uh, perform at your highest capability. Um, and there's always times where you have relationship with guys where you offer your um, your insight or or you know what you may be seeing. But I think the most important thing is that your that communication with the coach is such that you're uh, anytime anytime a player would see me and it's not very often is I communicate that with the coach and so that everybody's you know the same messaging is happening. The, the I think breakdowns can happen is if somebody's getting a message from a coach and the manager and somebody else over here it'll never work so um you know i always tell them if they've got an if they've got a question on anything to do with playing time or who they're playing with you know you're in the wrong office if you're sitting in this one um but i think just my management style is i i i do have a relationship with their players um um you know and i like to know what's going on in their lives and and more importantly, is there things that we can help from uh, aid it to make things easier for them, but also allow them to perform better. So that's, you know, that's, that's where I see the primary role in season yeah. in terms of my discussions with players. How, how has the whole COVID situation then created a part of your, your management tactics with players? That's, yeah, it's gotta it's be tough. Totally changed it, John. Totally. Like this year is it, it's, you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing. We're talking the other day and, um, and, you know, you just look around the league and I look at our team, right. And, and we were talking earlier about the makeup of our team and, and you look around and I really do think, I think this, I think COVID's had a huge, you know, you see all the protocols and obviously the surface stuff that's everything's changed. But I think when you go deeper into that, one area for me that I think it's had a huge impact with players is those younger players. Um, and maybe they're players that live on their own. Um, and in a normal season, a younger player that might have family or mom or dad or a brother or sister or friends come in and they spend time. And, and when thing, especially when things aren't going perfect, you don't, you know, you've got other people to be around you. Well, now those same players, they get to go home and stare at the four walls. And, right. and I think if you look around the league and some of the, you know, some of the ebbs and flows and ups and downs that we've seen in player performance and specifically young players, um, I'm not so sure that that doesn't play a role in it. And uh, so long way of answering my, my usual interaction, which I like to have with our players, has been, has been dramatically impacted by COVID. Uh, last one from me. Um, I'm intrigued by this, and I don't know whether you can, there's another one you may not be able to answer. Given COVID, the kind of relationship um, that a team has with its fan base um, is dramatically different. Now, we, we live in an era of social media, so you can still, if you want to, you can still see the reaction, get the reaction. The truth of the matter is that most people that are on social media are complete lunatics, so you can't you can only take what they say with a grain of salt. But tell me about what you perceive fan reaction has been to this Flames team and their performance up till now. 
Are, is there a patience? Is there an impatience in the marketplace? How would you categorize well, it? I would, I would suspect a lot of disappointment thus far. And I think it's like anything else. Uh, and I use our, ourselves and our, put our players on. When your expectation is something and yep. you fall short of that expectation, then you can, you can surely have the emotions and you, and you should have the emotions of frustration, disappointment, mm -hmm. anger, pissed off, all the things that we feel every day. Um, but, you know, the job for us is to not wallow in the emotion, but it's, we've got a job to do each day to try to make the team better. But I certainly feel and, and would hope and understand um, the frustration and the anger of our fan base and they should, you know, the team has not performed at the level that it should be. Um, it's the reason why we've taken some of the steps we've taken. When you look at, uh, we talked earlier about, you know, Daryl's arrival um, and we'll continue to try to, to, to do the things that we need to do to get the team back to where it's supposed to be. But um, we've underperformed and with that comes uh, the consequences that, uh, um, your fans are disappointed and, and they should be. So we understand that. What's it like to be a uh, part of the reborn battle of Alberta? Well, we've got to do our part a little bit more this year. Um, they, uh, we're not quite there with them. I think we're four and two going into game seven, but I, there's, there's definitely some juice in this rivalry now the last couple of years, John, mm -hmm. you've seen it. Um, when I first came into the league, when I first came to Calgary, uh, it was always a big game. I mean, you're, you're playing a rival, but um, I think that the, you know, the last few years, the teams have been good teams. You know, they're fighting for playoff team. You know, we've last number of years, we've, we've been able to be a playoff team. And, and, um, and so I think the teams were both, are both moving in the right direction. So it makes the games more meaningful. And there's, you know, there's certainly some fun ones here in the last uh, year or so. I got to tell you, though, it's kind of neat when, you know, Brad Treliving from Penticton, Bob Nicholson's from Penticton, Kenny Holland lives in Vernon. It's kind of like the the Okanagan version of the Battle yeah. of Alberta. You know? So it's, that's right. kind of cool. Uh, remind everyone where you come from, Shannon. I come from the Okanagan Valley as well. Thank so, you, I, you know, and I, you know, I think Brad used to deliver pizza to my grandmother's house, actually. That's right. I did. I did. <laughs> so that's all the good guys come from Okanagan out there. There you go. <laughs> All right, I'll let you two guys get a room. And, oh, uh, show your geographic histories together. Well, no, um, we'll, we'll just we'll enjoy the golf. That's all, Bob. We'll enjoy the right. golf. So. Well, I hear you, uh, Mr. Trilliving. It is uh, always our pleasure to have you on. Uh, we uh, wish you a success uh, the with the balance of the season and moving forward. And uh, we look forward to having an opportunity to chat with you somewhere down the road again. Thanks a lot, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bob. Good to see you, Shani. Thanks, guys. Brad Cheers. for living. We'll come back with more after these messages. This is Mikey Aaronworth signing on to the sign-off, a Frameworth podcast, which is now available on all platforms, such as Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, it's a forum for all the stories you didn't know you wished you knew about the world of sports marketing. On our first episode, we sat down with Daryl Sittler to talk about his infamous 10-point night. How many people you figure were at that game that night, Daryl? Everybody I see. <laughs> 80, 100,000 people. Everybody swears up and down they were at that game. The sign-off is available now wherever you get your podcasts. McCown and Shannon uh, with you again. Our thanks to uh, Brad Trilliving.
for uh, joining us. Oh, part of the I Okanagan Mafia. He's part of the yeah. Okanagan Mafia. Did I mention that? Yeah, many times. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not sure what, if anything, he's going to do at the trade deadline. I suspect very little. Um, I think a, a bigger question is if they finish where they are right now, which is out of the playoffs, how much does he change this team during the offseason, John? I'm not sure. I'm not sure he can based on, you know, long-term contracts, but I do think uh, after uh, 25 games with Daryl Sutter as the coach, uh, there'll be a lot of input from Daryl and he's going to suggest whether some of those big name guys, Goodrow, Monaghan, Lindholm, um, can they, can they win? Can they win with those players? And, that will be something that Brad and Daryl, I think, will end up having to do as a tandem. Because I think the one message that came out of today uh, with Brad was that Daryl's here long term. Daryl's not here for short term. He's not a quick fix coach. He's there for, well, we know he's there for at least three years. Well, he's signed uh, for and, three years. That doesn't mean anything, as you know. But I suspect uh, you're right. I well, listen, with the, right with, the relation, with the relationship Daryl has with this organization and with ownership, I think three years is the short, shortest length of time Daryl is with this organization. I don't deny that. I think uh, I don't. See it, it's really going to be interesting. They're, they're, they're in tough. They're in tough because, you know, Brad touched on the Battle of Alberta. I'll tell you what, whatever happens in Calgary is reflective of what's happening at Edmonton. And Edmonton's going to get better. Uh, Edmonton's got lots of cap space this summer, like 20, $25 million in cap space, and they still have dry side of McDavid. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on Brad for living Daryl Sutter in the Calgary Flames. Uh, that'll do it for us for uh, the day and the week. Um, it is the holiday weekend. We hope uh, you all stay safe. Um, if you, if you can be with your loved ones, that's fine. But um, safety is still paramount. It's been a long time and it's been a long road, but we're not at the end of it yet. Happy uh, Easter, Janet, Bob. You have, you have a nice uh, Easter weekend yourself, and uh, we'll catch you all on Monday. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.